The Baltimore Orioles just keep on rolling along as they picked up their sixth consecutive series victory, taking two out of three from the Oakland Athletics this weekend. I'll recap that series, get you my three big takeaways, including thoughts on Gunnar Henderson, the Orioles' depth, and their issues winning on Sundays. But that's all coming up on this episode of the Locked On Orioles podcast. You are Locked On Orioles, your daily Baltimore Orioles podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, Orioles fans. Today is Monday, September 5th, 2022, and welcome back in to the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Connor Newcomb. And coming up on today's episode, we're going to take a look back at another O's series win. They took two out of three from the Oakland Athletics over the weekend at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. And once again, they won the first two games, could not pull off the sweep on Sunday, but... It is six consecutive series wins for the O's. They keep themselves still on the outside looking in, but right on pace in the AL wildcard race, getting ready for their biggest series in six years that starts today in Baltimore. But I'll recap the three games, get you my three big takeaways. But first, just want to thank you for making Locked on Orioles your first podcast listen of the day. We're free and available on all podcast listening platforms. Make sure to leave a rating and a review if you can. We're right here on the Locked On Orioles YouTube page as well. Make sure to like, comment, and subscribe to the page, and tell your friends, hey, listen, we're into September. There's exactly one month left in the season. The Orioles are two and a half games out of a playoff spot, and by Wednesday, control their destiny to be in a playoff spot here in early September. A lot of people are jumping back in on following the O's closely. Tell them about Locked On Orioles, because we're going to have this team covered every single day for the remainder of of this season but again we thank you for making locked on orioles your first podcast listen of the day for your first listen today well it's a weekend recap episode orioles take two of three from the athletics starting the series with a five to two win on friday night they backed it up with an eight to one victory on saturday before falling five nothing to the a's in the series finale on sunday orioles now 71 and 62 on the season. Now with the Saturday win, they actually got to 71 and 61, 10 games over 500 for the first time since mid-May of 2017. That was a pretty special mark to get to, but they win their sixth straight series. Again, they are two and a half back now of the Toronto Blue Jays because despite winning a series, the Orioles lose ground because Toronto was in Pittsburgh and the Pittsburgh Pirates, well, didn't really put up much of a fight. The Blue Jays swept the Pirates in their three-game series, so they did game one game on the Orioles. And in terms of the other wild card contenders this weekend, pretty much everybody did the same thing. I mean, as I'm recording here, the Yankees are two outs away from beating the Rays and salvaging one game there. That would put the Orioles still three and a half games back of Tampa Bay. And then this Seattle and Cleveland game is currently in a delay. I'm just going to assume Seattle's going to win this game. They're up 2-1. to one. They've been winning all these games. That would put Seattle 4.5 up on the Orioles and put them in the top wildcard spot heading into play on Monday. But the O's still right in it. And uh, certainly they can help themselves with four games against the Blue Jays starting today. We'll get to that series, though, in just a bit. First, we look back on this A's and O's series. My three big takeaways from the weekend in which the Orioles took two out of three from Oakland. And my first big takeaway is, hey, you know what? This Gunnar Henderson kid, he's pretty good. He uh, he seems to be 
pretty good. Henderson on the weekend, just a three for 11. It's not like he lit the world on fire, but did have a couple of doubles, a walk, and two strikeouts starting all three games for the Orioles this weekend. And he has been in the starting lineup in all five games he has been an Oriole. And actually on Sunday, that was the O's first loss with Gunnar Henderson on the team. They had been 4-0 since calling up Gunnar before falling in the series finale on Sunday. But he's just been incredible and is playing three different positions. Obviously, we saw him dazzle at shortstop on Thursday in Cleveland. Then he started at second base on Friday, played at third base on Saturday, and then was back at second base on Sunday. And he made some great defensive plays as well. You know, made some good ones at third, but really the first inning on Sunday for Henderson at second made a couple of really nice plays in the top of the first to help out Spencer Watkins. And, you know, he's turned some double plays really well at second. I mean, did a great job to end the game Friday night, was playing second base, runner on first and one out in the ninth inning. Ground ball gets hit to Mateo. He flips to second, I think, thinking, all right, we're going to get the lead runner. We're going to get the second out. Henderson just turns, winds up, and fires a bullet over to Mountcastle to get the runner by a half a step to make it a double play and secure the victory, end the game in game one of the series on Friday night. I mean, he can do it all. He can turn the double play from both positions. He can pick it at third. We know he might be able to play some first base in a pinch as well. And the swing looks great. And it was just awesome to see. And I think really the most positive part of this moving forward with Henderson is that what the O's have shown, not just by having him in the lineup five out of five times, that he's basically going to be an everyday player down the stretch. And now, don't be surprised if he sits against a lefty here or there. And obviously, he's going to get some days off, even if it's not a lefty. They're not going to play him every single day down the stretch in his first month in the big leagues in a playoff chase. But I think a huge indicator for how much we're going to see Gunnar Henderson was Friday night's lineup because the Athletics sent out a talented lefty in J.P. Sears. He was their starting pitcher on Friday night. Sears pitched well, two runs over six innings for the A's in that one. But Brandon Hyde had a very right-handed heavy lineup, as he should. Sears much better against left-handers than he is against right-handers, and Hyde has some more guys to work with. So you saw the likes of Jesus Aguilar in there, and Robinson Torinos was catching on Friday night. And you had Ryan McKenna leading off, and Cedric Mullins and Kyle Stowers, Taryn Vavra, even Adley Rutschman were all out of the lineup. Obviously, Rutschman is a switch hitter, but hits much better against righties than he does against lefties, so he was sitting as well. And Rugnet Odor even was out of Friday's lineup. We haven't said that very often. But I think what was really telling is that Gunnar Henderson was the one and only true left-handed hitter who was in the lineup Friday night. Now, Brandon Hyde did push him down the lineup a little bit, batted him eighth against the lefty, but all he did was go two for four with a couple of doubles, including doubling in the third in his first Camden Yards at bat off the lefty J.P. Spears. And it was just really impressive by Gunnar Henderson to see him stay in against the lefty. He fell down 0-2 and then got him and lined one into right field. And that's just huge, I think, for what Henderson's role is going to be moving forward because... If he's going to play against a lefty like that when none of the other lefties are playing, that says some big things that the O.C. him immediately as an everyday player, as they should, because he is that good. And he's going to continue to help the O's moving forward. Now, I'm not going to say he's going to play every game. And listen, you know, the O's have a double header here today. He hasn't gotten a day off since coming up. I would not be surprised at all if Henderson is out of the lineup for one of the two games of this doubleheader, even though it is two righties that the Blue Jays are throwing. You know, Kevin Gosman's pretty tough on lefties. Maybe the game Gosman starts. You see Henderson sit and be ready to pinch hit off the bench late in the game. But he's going to play most games, even against lefties, it seems. And that's really going to help this Oriole order. And, I mean, he had that big weekend, and it could have been a bigger weekend. 
I mean, he almost had his first Oriole Park home run in the win Saturday night. I mean, the O's hit five homers in that game. They could have had six. Gunnar Henderson absolutely blasting a ball down the right field line onto Utah Street. StatCast, despite it being called a foul ball, had it at 409 feet and 108.4 miles per hour off the bat. It was called a foul ball. They reviewed it. They still called it foul. I was in the ballpark out above the bullpen in center field, so I really had no view on whether or not it was fair or foul. But either way, he demolished that baseball. And even on foul balls, his swings are looking good, and he is going to be a special player for the Orioles here for a long time. But I mentioned those wins on Friday and Saturday, and obviously having Gunnar Henderson on this Orioles team gives them even more depth. And if he's going to play every day, it gives the Orioles bench even more depth. And this weekend really kind of showed, you know, how much deeper the Orioles are now that they've called up some of these prospects over the past few weeks. And coming up next, we'll talk about how the wins on Friday and on Saturday and some of the moves that Brandon Hyde made show that this Orioles team for the first time all year here in September is finally a deep team and how that's going to help them in this playoff push. But first, if you're looking for a deep team for your business, you need the right people on your team to help your small business fire on all cylinders. And LinkedIn Jobs is here to make it easier to find the people you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. They've got simple tools like screening questions that make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and who you'd like to hire. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week, nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? So post your job for free at linkedin.com slash MLB. That's linkedin.com slash MLB to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. So the Orioles take two out of three from the Oakland Athletics over the weekend to win their sixth consecutive series, continuing to keep pace in this AL wildcard race. And for the O's this weekend, you know, they get the wins on Friday and Saturday. And really, each of those wins had a distinct feel to it. And a lot of that feel was that this Orioles team is a lot deeper than it was early in the season, where at times, you know, the O's have had to go on to the same reliever time and time again. Or, you know, they've had maybe seven trustworthy hitters. And even in their best lineup, they had a couple of holes offensively. That doesn't feel like that's really the case anymore. And it really showed itself Friday and Saturday. I mean, let's start with the Friday game. As I talked about earlier, Brandon Hyde against the left-handed starter, J.P. Sears, he starts a right-handed heavy lineup. And those guys got themselves some hits, didn't necessarily add to the runs. But you get to the eighth inning, and the Orioles' offense had kind of gone quiet for a bit. It's a 2-2 game heading into the bottom of the eighth. And the Orioles start to rally. You get Anthony Santander, who works a leadoff walk. Then Ryan Mountcastle hits a ball to second, which should have at the very least been an out somewhere. But Jonah Bride, the athletic second baseman, not really sure what he was doing, just kind of had kind of a brain fart and essentially allowed the Orioles to have first and second with nobody out. Then, not that I love the decision, but the O's have Ramona Rios lay down a sack bunt. So they get to second and third with one out, the bottom of the eighth of a 2-2 game. And a right-hander, you know, out of the bullpen is on the hill for Oakland. And, you know, the O's had all the righties in the lineup, which means they're certainly not putting out their most talented lineup. But what Brandon Hyde felt given the best chance to win 
against a left-handed starter. So Jesus Aguilar has come to the plate. Now he had hit a couple of balls hard on the night, but he was 0 for 3. And he's facing a right-hander in Domingo Acevedo. And Brandon Hyde goes to the bench. And all of a sudden, he's got Cedric Mullins able to pinch hit off the bench in a big spot in the eighth inning. And the Athletics look over, and they see, okay, we got Cedric Mullins here. We have a struggling Austin Hayes, a right-handed hitter, on deck. Let's just go ahead and not worry about Mullins and send him down to first, which wasn't a bad decision. So they intentionally walk Mullins to load the bases with one out. They say, all right, let's face Austin Hayes. This is a guy who hits the ball into the ground a lot. We think we can turn a double play and get out of this inning. Well, then Brandon Hyde says, I'm going to pinch hit for one of my, maybe not cornerstones of this lineup, but Austin Hayes was the Orioles' best hitter in April, May, and June this year. And now he's getting pinch hit for with the bases loaded in the eighth inning of a huge game in September because, well, the Orioles also had Adley Rutschman available off the bench. And what does Rutschman do? Well, he comes into the game. He was in a little bit of a slump coming into that. You know, he's over his last 15 coming into that at bat. He takes six consecutive pitches. By my count, all of them were outside the strike zone. Two of them were called for strikes, but he takes a 3-2 fastball down low for ball four. It's a pinch hit RBI walk for Rutschman, which gives the O's a 3-2 lead in the eighth. And then with the pitcher rattled, Jorge Mateo comes up next. First pitch, lines a two-run single into left, extends the lead, makes it 5-2 O's, and they go on to win the game by that score. But it was really interesting to see the O's go into that depth because I get it. Mullins and Rutschman are hitting 1-2 in the Orioles lineup generally every day. They're two of the best hitters on this team. They're not exactly what you would call the depth of the team. They are the starters. But when you can bring them off the bench, and on the flip side, when they're not playing, you can still get some production from the guys you had in the lineup. I mean, Ryan McKenna was replacing Mullins. He had a hit. He's hit really well against lefties this year. Robinson Chirinos was replacing Rutschman. He had an RBI double in the third inning that got the O's on the board and put them up one nothing. So each of them had some production in this game, and then those aren't even the guys that go out. You know, you're able to take Hayes out of the game, who did have a hit, and take Aguilar out of the game as well, who would have had a 2021 Camden Yards homer, but the uh, new wall made it a flyout for Aguilar earlier in that game. And you can bring those guys off the bench, and you look down the bench, you still had Kyle Stowers. You still had Rugnet Odor. You still had Taron Vavra all ready to pinch hit, potentially, if you needed them off the bench. That is so much more depth than the Orioles have had all season. And obviously, it really, really worked out Friday. Then you go to Saturday, and you saw the depth both off the bench a bit, but mostly in the bullpen as well. Because, listen, the O's had a big offensive night Saturday. They score eight runs. They hit five homers. Fifth time they've hit five homers this year, most since 2016. They have 11 hits. You know, Ryan Mountcastle gets himself off the schneid, two home runs, four RBIs. You have Santander hit one, and Rutschman hit one, and Mullins hit one. And, you know, the O's are feeling good. They get five home runs in the top four in their lineup. But what they also got in this game was, yeah, that's some depth right there in your lineup to have all those guys homering. And you get your nine-man Jorge Mateo having two hits in the game. But how about the Oriole bullpen in this Saturday game? Because if you look at what happened, Austin Voth did not have the goods on Saturday night. He had been pitching so, so well for the O's, but he just didn't have it. He lasted only three and a third, allowing six hits. Did strike out four with no walks, but was just getting hit around. Five hard hit balls. And Voth allowed three consecutive singles to open up the fourth inning. Uh, the O's were leading four to one, but the A's loaded the bases. 
He then allows a line drive to right field where Kyle Stowers makes a nice running catch, actually overthrew Adley at home plate, but luckily the runners didn't advance. So it was one out bases loaded. Both had thrown 70 pitches. He was getting hit hard. Brandon Hyde had the bullpen working and just said, you know what? We've got a lead. We're in a playoff atmosphere. Our bullpen's fairly rested. Let's go to the pen. Austin Voth does not have it tonight. And so Hyde takes the ball from Voth when he's gotten 10 outs. You would like more than that from your starters. But he goes to Keegan Aiken, and Keegan Aiken, he's been struggling recently. He had a 4.63 ERA in August, and that's with an outing where he had five unearned runs in that crazy Friday night game against Boston a couple weeks ago. Some of those could have certainly been earned, and his ERA could have been 6, 7, 8 in the month of August. He hasn't been good. But what does Keegan Aiken come in and do? He gets a 6-4-3 double play to get out of the inning. And then he ends up pitching two scoreless perfect innings with a strikeout to kind of keep the O's in the lead and transition it over to the back end of the bullpen. And then what Brandon Hyde was able to do is just kind of mix and match the bullpen down the stretch so nobody pitched too much and everybody stayed fresh. Joey Crable threw a scoreless inning, two-thirds scoreless for CNL Perez, and then D.L. Hall makes his MLB relief debut. How about a one-two-three-eighth for D.L. Hall with two strikeouts where his stuff was looking absolutely nasty? I mean, he gives you depth. You now have D.L. Hall coming out of the bullpen. He makes his first Orioles relief appearance, and granted, it was the eighth inning of a blowout game, but it was the right spot to get Hall in there. You know, you, you put him in, the O's are up 7-1 to one in the top of the eighth inning, you get him a clean inning, that's really all you can ask for if you're D.L. Hall, and he just let the stuff eat with the couple of strikeouts, could have struck out the side if he got a better call to that first batter he faced, but eight four-seamers, five change-ups, two curveballs, he actually didn't see the slider, which was interesting, but he got five whiffs, three on the change, which was absolutely filthy, Two on the fastball, including the final swing and miss on a pitch that was 98.2 miles an hour. Got the guy to chase a high fastball. I mean, his stuff looked incredible out of the pen. And then you can you know, go to a guy like Nick Vespi, which they did in the top of the ninth in an 8-1 game where you don't have to burn some of your best relievers. You can just go to Vespi and you can close out the game. And what the Orioles were able to do is get D.L. Hall a good inning, show that they have him in the pen. They have another weapon. They won that game, even though their starter got 10 outs, they won that game without using their best two relievers, Dylan Tate and Felix Bautista. Neither of them pitched on Saturday night. And really the only guy they burned for Sunday was probably Keegan Aiken, who threw 20 pitches. And you could argue Joey Crable threw 18 pitches. Maybe you wouldn't want to use him Sunday. But then the O's on Sunday, you know, they end up only using Nick Vespi and Rico Garcia out of the bullpen. And they probably won't use either of those guys Monday. But the Orioles used five different relievers and did not burn any of them for a crucial doubleheader here on a Monday. I mean, really, the only guy who's, I would say, definitely not available for this doubleheader for the Orioles is Nick Vespi because he's pitched back-to-back days. He pitched Saturday and he pitched Sunday. Everybody else the O's have in that pen available to pitch to try and get 54 outs against the Blue Jays on Monday in two huge games. Brandon Hyde, I felt like, managed that bullpen to perfection on Saturday. He managed that bench to perfection on Friday. And it's getting a little easier for him because the O's are just a little bit of a deeper team. And it's going to make them more dangerous. And it already has made them more dangerous here in this playoff chase. But as the O's continue to look dangerous in these series and keep winning these series, they look the opposite of dangerous when they play day games. Sundays are an issue. Day games in general 
have just been an issue all year. And that continued with a completely flat performance on Sunday. O's had a chance to sweep. Instead, they lose 5-0 to a really bad athletics team. So coming up next, we'll talk about how bad the Orioles have really been on Sundays and in day games this year. What the heck is going on? And try to figure out how they can stop this Sunday skid because they're going to need to win some day games, including later today, if they want to stay in this playoff push. So the Orioles did get this series victory, taking two out of three from the Oakland Athletics, a, a really bad Oakland Athletics team that kind of looks like what the Orioles look like for the past four years. I kind of got that vibe, especially being in the ballpark Saturday. I was like, wow, this is what other good teams felt like when they were playing the Orioles over the last few seasons. The A's are not in a good spot, but the O's had a chance to sweep a bad team this weekend and something kind of felt like they needed to do, especially because the Blue Jays were off sweeping a bad team in Pittsburgh this weekend. The other wildcard teams continued to win, but the O's once again just couldn't finish off a sweep, losing 5-0 on Sunday. Still took the series, but it continued a concerning pattern for the Orioles this year, who are 9-14 on Sundays this year. And if you take away the Sunday Night Baseball Little League Classic win, the O's are 8-14 on true Sunday day games this year. And they've had multiple chances, especially in August, to sweep a series and just have lost, whether it be a Sunday or just a day game, a getaway day, in the middle of the week. In fact, the only other losing day of the season this year for the O's is Wednesday. The O's are 8-10 on Wednesdays this year. And a lot of those Wednesday losses have been, you know, getaway days, day game, final game of a series. The Orioles have now lost seven consecutive Sunday day games. Now, it's not seven consecutive Sundays because they won the Little League Classic, but Sunday day games, the O's have lost seven straight. They've lost seven straight day games in general, which includes some Wednesday and Thursday day games as well. Their last outdoor day game win was July 28th. That was Trey Mancini's last home game, the crazy inside-the-park home run game where the O's beat the Rays to take that series. That is their last outdoor day game win, July 28th. The O's are really struggling in this spot. And it's kind of a weird fact, fun fact kind of thing. But it's also a little concerning because you're playing at minimum one day game a week, and sometimes you're playing two day games a week. Or you look at this upcoming week, the O's have three day games this week, two here on Monday, and one, of course, this upcoming Sunday as well. The O's got to figure this out. And the thing is, I'm not really sure what it is, but the Orioles are 22 and 27 in day games this year and 49 and 35 in night games. If the O's could play every game at 6 p.m. or later, they might be the best team in baseball right now. They might be in first place in the AL East. I think the day games are holding them back. You look at the stats, it's kind of astounding, actually. And this isn't like a thing for everybody. It's not like everybody is bad on day games. There's some teams looking at the stats that are very, very good in day games. The Orioles have a team WRC plus of 91 in day games. That means they're 9% worse than league average as a hitting unit when they play in day games. They have a 104 WRC plus. They're actually a little above league average as an offense in night games. And we know the offense has been their real issue all year. How about the team OPS? 666 in day games this year. 715 in night games. You kind of want your OPS to be over 700. 
Here's the one that might be even weirder. The Orioles have a 4.24 team ERA in day games. Among all teams in day games, that is 24th in baseball. In night games, the Orioles have a 3.50 team ERA. Among all teams in night games, that is 7th best in baseball. What the heck is happening to the Orioles in these day games? I get it. I don't like the heat. The sun's not my best friend. As you can see from how pale I am at all times. And I generally avoid Sunday games at Oriole Park just because I'm going to sweat and get sunburnt the entire time, I feel like. Do the O's feel that way too? Maybe. But it's, it's getting a little concerning. And I know. People have brought this up. I kind of put a Twitter thread out at Locked on Orioles on Sunday. Go check that one out about kind of all these day game stats for the Orioles this year. And I get a lot of people commenting, well, what is the one factor? Robinson Chirinos is basically playing every Sunday. And that's true. That's how 99% of Major League Baseball teams do it. They will have their usual catcher play most of the week. And then because almost exclusively the Sunday game is a day game at 1 o'clock after a 7 o'clock night game on a Saturday, that's when pretty much every team rests their starting catcher and plays their backup catcher. So Robinson Chirinos, who, as we know, not a good framer, has struggled defensively, and has been really bad offensively pretty much all season for the Orioles, is playing every Sunday. It's certainly a factor. Do not get me wrong. Having Robinson Chirinos behind home plate instead of Adley Rutschman is a factor to why the ERA is almost a run higher in day games. It's a factor that the offense is a little worse, that he's in there, but... You got to remember, especially recently, Adley Rutschman has generally been DHing in Sunday games while Torino's catches. So you still got your best hitter in Adley in the lineup as the DH. So Robinson Torino's, who hits ninth every time he plays, he's getting the least amount of plate appearances. Him alone is not making the offense be worse in these day games, having these awful performances where they don't score against the Oakland Athletics like they did on Sunday. So yeah, I think Torino's has a little bit to do with it. But remember, Torino started on Friday night. The Orioles kind of used this series against the A's as a chance to get Adley kind of one day catching, one day completely off, and one day DHing. And the Orioles scored five runs and won on Friday night. And Robinson Torino's drove in one of those runs. So it's not just a Torino's thing. And Dean Kramer pitched well, and the bullpen pitched well with Torino's behind the plate. But remember, it was a night game on Friday. And it was a day game on Sunday when Spencer Watkins did not pitch well at all and the Orioles didn't hit at all. So Torinos, I think, yeah, it's a little bit to it. He's a giant drop-off, both offensively and defensively, when he's in there for Adley. And, you know, even when Adley's DHing, when you have to have Torinos catching, you know, you'd rather have a guy like Kyle Stowers or Taron Vavra or whomever in the lineup instead. And Torinos is a big step back. He's been bad offensively this year. But at the end of the day... There's something else going on. It's not just Robinson Torinos. It certainly isn't. And people brought up, oh, this was a problem back in the Buck days, especially 2014. I went back and looked. The Orioles were 11-12 and 12 in Sunday day games in 2014 when they won the AL East. So, yeah, I guess a little bit of a problem when you win 96 games and you have a day of the week where you have a losing record. I guess it's a little bit of an issue day. But they're now 8-14 and 14 in Sunday day games. Not good. And guess what? They've got four more of these Sunday day games. Plus, they've got two day games today in this giant doubleheader against Toronto. And they've got a few more day games during the week sprinkled in. 
The O's just can't go, you know, one in six or whatever it may be in these day games for the rest of the year and stay in the playoff chase. I don't know what it is, but they are significantly worse pitching and hitting in day games when the sun's shining. I don't have an exact answer. Chirinos is a little bit of it. Maybe some of it is, you know, the O's have been really good on weekends. One of their best couple of days have been Fridays and Saturdays this year. So maybe they're putting it all, you know, using their best guys into winning Friday and Saturday, and then they're not having as many guys available on Sundays. Maybe that's a little bit of it. And maybe it's a little Chirinos. But there's some about the day games and the earlier starts after night games. It just throws the O's off. And they're going to have to figure it out and figure it out soon. Because they got not one, but two day games today. A gigantic doubleheader starts today in Baltimore. Two games of a four-game series between the O's and the Blue Jays. Orioles two and a half back of Toronto for the final wildcard spot in the American League. They've got 10 games left with the Blue Jays here. Four of them start today. If you get three of four, you pull within a half game. If you get all four, well, then you have a game and a half lead over Toronto. Sounds pretty good to me. It's all in the O's hands starting with this series. And it'll be a doubleheader, so each team will get an extra player to call up from AAA. Teams have named their starters for these games. Looks like the Orioles will go with Jordan Lyles in one of their games. And Mike Bauman, who just struck out a career-high 13 batters over six scoreless innings in his last start with AAA Norfolk this week. He'll be called up as the 29th man to start one of the games. And then the Toronto Blue Jays will go with Jose Barrios. And our old friend Kevin Gosman will start the other game for the Blue Jays. So a huge, huge series. The biggest Orioles series since they went to Toronto at the end of the 2016 season when those two were battling for the wild card. Almost six years ago. Big games at Camden Yards. Hope to see you there. But I'll be back with you here on the podcast tomorrow. Of course, we'll be pretty much focused solely on the doubleheader, recapping both games between the Orioles and the Blue Jays here in Baltimore. But that's coming up on tomorrow's episode. Until then, I'm Connor Newcomb, and this has been the Locked On Orioles podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.